We've been in a series talking about the kingdom clash, the clash between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And as we've gone through this journey, we have read a lot of scripture, we've talked about a lot of things, and uh, today I want to do a quick review at the beginning, but whenever I, whenever I get to the heart of today's message, I want you to hear my heart in the beginning. Before I get to the heart of the message, I want you to hear my heart. That as we talk about what's going on in the world today, I am not choosing sides of earthly realm. I am talking about kingdoms. And whenever I talk about kingdoms, that has nothing to do with what you see on TV. It has nothing to do with parties or people. It has to do with what is truth and what is the kingdom of God and what are we called to do as agents of his kingdom to bring heaven to earth. And so I want you to hear my heart in the beginning. Lots of people, you, the word says, be careful how you hear. Lots of people mess with things and try to take things out of context. My heart is that I'm highlighting what God is doing on the earth, what the enemy is doing on the earth, and what our role is to fix it. Amen? And, uh, and so just hear my heart about that. But, um, so we started off saying that, that there is a contrast, that Satan's kingdom is a direct counterfeit of God's kingdom. And we gave some explanations and some verses, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures because you have them written down. If you don't, take pictures of the screen so you can read them later. But there are children of God and there are children of Satan, Matthew 13, 38. It says, the field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. We can see in the earth today that there are tares and there are seed. And we know that one is of one kingdom, one is of another. And so that's pretty plain in that scripture. The next one we said was Christ sows good seed, Satan sows tares, reflects the verses above. The next one we said, God works in his children, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And we also know that Satan has children, and he works in his children too. That's Ephesians 2, 2. In which you were once called according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in his sons of disobedience. So he has sons of disobedience, so he's got kids too, and uh, he's speaking to them and working through them too. Are we clear on those? The next one is Christ has a gospel, and so does Satan. Christ has a gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Satan has a gospel, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Now, moving on. Christ appointed apostles, Mark 3, 14 through 19. And Satan appointed apostles. We know about Christ. Let's read about Satan's for a second. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 through 15. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So Christ appoints apostles, Satan appoints false prophets, and they're trying to infiltrate the church. They're trying to infiltrate truth to derail what God wants to do in his family. Then the father seeks worshipers, John 4, 23. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such to worship him. But Satan has worshipers too. You see, everything's a counterfeit. It's God sets up the true way that this is going to work. And Satan comes over here and says, I see that God has favor and is, is working in the world. If I counterfeit that, I will sway people to my side and I'll be able to get ground in the world as well. 
so that you can find that Satan has those worshipers so you can find that in Matthew 4 Revelation 13 4 says so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying who is like the beast who is able to make war with him there are so many parallels to this world today but I'm just going to keep going Christ quoted scripture. We know that. Luke 4, 1 through 13. Satan quoted scripture in that same passage. They're battling with the word. Satan knows the word. Christ quoted the word. There always is a counterfeit. Christ is the light of the world. John 8, 12. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Revelation 5, 5. Satan is a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. Now, I heard this illustration once, and I don't know because I've never been on a safari, but it, it, it's a great illustration, and I got the point. That, that the, the lions, when, they're, when the antelope or whatever are coming through, the lions, the men will get up and sound a noise on the top of the hill, and the females will actually wait and when the, they come to the sound of the noise of, of the lion, the female will attack and they will do the work. And I think that this is a perfect picture of there is a true lion of Judah and there is a counterfeit that just makes a lot of noise. And if you pay attention to him, you'll get eaten and you'll get derailed. But if you actually hold on to the lion of Judah, you will be protected. We read of Christ and his angels throughout scripture. Too many to list, so you can just Google it and you'll find it. So is the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41 talks about his angels. Another counterfeit. Christ works miracles. So does the Antichrist. 2 Corinthians 2, 9. Working miracles. Christ is on the throne. And so is Satan. Revelation 2, 13. I don't know how much clearer we can be that Christ has the authentic kingdom, but there is a counterfeit kingdom that is set out to derail all the followers of Christ to sway them to his kingdom to wreak havoc on their lives. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. Now, we, we talk about, you know, being, being rowdy. I, I want you this morning... To not just be rowdy, but I want you to really pause for a second as I pray before we read this scripture. And I want you to lay your heart before the Lord. We do that when we give. What is our heart motivation? Today, I want your heart motivation to be fertile soil. And I want you to picture this in your mind. You're opening up your heart and your mind to be fertile soil to hear what God is saying in this hour to the church. Because this is relevant to you more than you know in this moment. Father, today as I read this word, I am a failed communicator, but Lord, I want you to speak through me today. Lord, may your words resonate with those in this world that need to hear it. May there be nuggets of truth that go from, from this voice to those all around the world that would hear this, Lord. May it expose darkness. May it highlight the, the light of the world. And Lord, may this be a day of transformation and may a movement begin of a church empowered today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn with me to Ephesians 5, we're going to start in verse 1. And, uh, and it's just so, so powerful. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in 
love. As Christ also had loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. People should know when you're around that you've been with the Lord. They should see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, feel it. They should vibrate when you walk in the room. I had a situation this week that I won't get specific on, but I had a situation that I walked into and I was thanking our intercessors. Guys, you don't know how much, and even you watching, you don't know how much our intercessory team is praying for you and pulling for you. And the names on the list and the people that they see in the service, they're, they're in here on Thursday night laying hands on your chairs. Even if you're a first-time visitor, they, they laid hands on your chair on Thursday and prayed for you. And I know they're getting words and pictures, but they were praying for me, I know, because I walked into a situation on Friday in which God had to move. And I know that I carry a, a, an anointing on me. And whenever I walk into a situation, God will move. And I walked into a situation of anger and disgust and frustration and just complete nonsense. And whenever I walked in, I paused for a moment and I said, okay, Lord, how are you going to use the anointing that's on me? You've opened the door, obviously, to go to this place. How are you going to use that anointing? I humble myself, use me. And he just told me to walk around this place and to pray and to ask him to just invade the space and to commission angels to be there. And within one hour, it went from the most unbelievably disruptive feel to a, re a rejoicing and an amazing transformation. And that is not because of just the anointing on me. It's because there are prayer warriors in this house that love you and that love me. And when we go into those situations, whether it be at your job or anywhere else, they're praying for you, they're holding you up. And, you know, one of my best intercessors in Florida, I'll receive a phone call. And, uh, and, and as I receive the phone call, whenever, whenever I get the phone call at an odd hour, I know that there's some truth coming my way. And, uh, and so I receive a phone call at an odd hour that I'm not normally in communication with this intercessor and, and there will be a message on the other end of the phone. I'm carrying you, sit down, rest. I cannot rest because you aren't resting. So I need rest, rest. <laughs> See, we, we make this into this religious thing. There are people that are carrying your burden right now. We have hundreds of intercessors all around the world that are praying for the summit for you. We have our team here in the building that are laying hands on your chairs that are praying for you. You may have a conversation with them today and they're actually praying in the spirit while they're talking with you and you think, man, they didn't pay attention to me. No, they were paying attention to what you're going to deal with on Tuesday because they care about you that much. So as and walk in love as Christ also had loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for the sweet-smelling aroma. Let's get in his presence, smell like him. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it, be, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. But I bet there's an inheritance in the kingdom of the enemy. So you get to choose. You get to choose what you're going to do. Cain had a conversation with God before he sinned. 
Go back and read it. Genesis 3. He had a conversation. God came into his space and said, you have an, you have an obligation here. There is a door. If you, if you do what I'm asking you to do, you will be fine. If you choose something else, you will pay the consequences for it. As a nation, we are in that moment right now. We are right now in that moment. Verse 5, For this you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a lot of empty words around. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Sons and daughters of the king, do not be partakers with nonsense. With these people that speak empty words. Listen to what he says. Listen to what the word is speaking to you about what you're called to do. And now the best commission, I love this. For you were once in darkness. But now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Okay, this verse, you ready? Mark it in your Bible, verse 11. Mark it in your Bible. If it's already highlighted, mark it again. Put the date beside it. I guarantee you will go back to it in the next coming months. In the next few months, you will go back to verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Okay, we're going to do it one more time. Now, we are called to do verse 11 every single day. We are called to have a right heart with God every single day to do verse 11. This is your call. You're called to love one another, and you're called to expose darkness. So I'm going to say it one more time, and we'll get a better response. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Yeah, you know, the church is silent. Whenever, whenever things are exposed, or that when things need to be exposed, the church has been silent. And he doesn't give this to anyone else. He gives it to you. He gives it to the church on the earth to expose darkness. And yet when darkness rises, and the church doesn't show up, darkness prevails. Darkness reigns. And he's calling on the church to expose darkness. It says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. All the conspiracy theories, shut your mouths. He's got it under control. You don't need to worry about the money going from here to there. Worry about what he's telling you to expose. Not a theory. He says, call out darkness. When you see someone in darkness, call it out in them and they will see light because of the light in you. The church is so distracted with media and conspiracy theories and who's going to get elected that we're not exposing the darkness. We'll leave it to somebody else. There's a man in a high house somewhere that will let him expose darkness. No, it's not his job. It's yours. It's the church. And someday, maybe there won't be someone that wants to expose darkness, but wants to keep darkness. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Your job is still to expose darkness. Whether it be the highest office in the land or your neighbor or even in your own house. Expose darkness. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. 
You don't have to do anything but expose it. God will bring his light into the situation and transform that person's heart or their mind. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, highlight verse 14, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There are conditions in the lighting process. There are conditions to the light that comes through you. When you're, uh, when you're asleep and you're sitting still, the light is blinded in you. You have put it under a bushel. And the word is telling us that you have to awake, number one, to actually become awake to what God is doing in the earth. Become awake to the kingdoms of darkness and what is happening. Use the spiritual gifts that God has imparted to the church and allow them to function exposing darkness on, ev on every turn. But you have to be awake. We can't sit in slumber anymore as the church. We have to be ready to go. And then it says arise from the dead. So awake and then arise from the dead. I love that, that he gives you two choices to not be dead. And then it says, and Christ will give you the light. God's mercies are new for you every single day. And he gives you the light that you need to encounter the darkness that you're going to see tomorrow. But see, the problem is, is that as we sleep as the church, as we sleep, there is darkness that is mounting all around us as the church. It's mounting, it's mounting. And what we're doing is sleeping. And God is saying, awake, arise, church. Be who I've called you to be. We'll wait till next Sunday. We'll come and hear another good word. You know, we'll pass by that person today. We'll probably see him tomorrow. But darkness needs to be exposed now. When God shows you darkness, expose it. Don't question your authority. Don't question what he says. Just do it. And when he, when he says to do it, and you do it, and you're obedient, you will see the power and the light come through you. Even if you had no, no human responsibility of being there, he puts you there, do it. And if you don't have the obedience to do that, we got to go back to Good News Bears and learn that the word means what it says, and he means what he says, and he's a good dad. He doesn't buy anything that he hasn't already paid for. He doesn't purchase something that he hasn't already paid for. He doesn't command you to do something that isn't already paid for. It says right here, if you'll be awake, if you will rise up, he will give you the light that you need. And yet we have a church that wants to sit on their hands and, and, and just be all, whatever happens, we just have to vote a certain way. No, we have to expose darkness in Dover and in New Philadelphia and in Tuscarawas County and in Ohio and in this country and around the world. When God puts it on your heart, expose darkness. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Do it. God has called us to colonize earth with heaven. He's, co he's called us to do that. You cannot colonize something unless you know the ins and outs of that place that you're colonizing. You have to know the good, the bad, the ugly. You have to be empowered to do it. So God says, I, I've got this people, these called out people, the ecclesia of God. I've got them and I want them to Bring heaven to earth. I want the culture of heaven to be upon all the earth. But it can't be done through a ritual service. 
It can't be done through just the, the mundane things. The way that heaven comes to earth is that we bind on earth what's found in heaven, we loose on earth what's loosed in heaven, and we expose darkness on every turn. And he gives us the light and the grace to stand in those situations, even this morning. When Adam fell, he lost a country, not a religion. When Adam fell, he lost a government. We've studied this, not a ritual. When Adam fell, he lost an entire administrative staff. And he was on his own. But he didn't lose a religious system. He lost a governmental administration. Christ said this, the word says this about Christ, that the government will be upon his shoulders. It does not say the governments. It says the government. The government of the kingdom of heaven will be upon his shoulders and he will reign upon the earth in his body the ecclesia, the called out ones, and he will return. Buckle up. The title for today's message is Socialism is Satan's Signature Move. The history of socialism is very interesting. I don't know how many of you want to really sit through a history lesson, but if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. And if you don't listen to what I'm about to tell you, with an open mind and open heart, you won't recognize it when you walk out the doors. And my heart for you as your pastor is that you will understand this, you will call it out, and you will not stand for nonsense. The history of socialism, I'm going to read a lot of this because I want it to be correct. The history of socialism goes back to Plato in 380 BC. It's not a new deal. It's not a new idea. Plato had a theory. You see, he believed that democracy couldn't last because it was, all about, it was all about the goodness of man would allow democracy to keep going. And he knew that, he, he figured that that wouldn't happen because it was all based on virtue. So there had to be a better way. And the better way was what I'm about to describe to you. And I want you to really consider whether this is a better way. He said, democracy without morals and virtue ends in social chaos out of which tyrants arise. Socialism is a structured society with a ruling class and a ruled class. Now, Plato, 380 BC. I don't want to go all the way you know, to today. That would take like months, right? So I'm just going to skip. We're going to fast forward. Fast forward. There's this man named Columbus. Christopher Columbus, who comes to the new world. And he discovers this new world. And then 20 years later, there's this man named Sir Thomas More who writes a, a story, a book called The Island of Utopia. And utopia means nowhere. That's why it's utopia, because you can't find it. This is what he said. About a ruling class and a ruled class, a place where everybody owns everything in common and there's no private property, there's no privacy, everyone lives identical and the government tracks everyone all the time. If you're caught without a document, if you're caught without a document, you will spend the rest of your life as a slave to the government. 
The government takes the children away from their parents and puts them in villages to raise them because their parents, according to this idolatry, the parents are incompetent. The parents are ruining their children. And so they remove the, the children from the parents and they put them in villages to raise them on government trash. Indoctrination. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. It moves on. So, so these, are, these are distinct times in history when socialism and this thought process that the state should own you has, has morphed throughout time. So you had more, and now you have Sir Francis Bacon. You've all heard of him. The New Atlantis. He began talking about the same things and how the government should own you. The government should control you. Now, throughout this whole time of settling of the new world and Thanksgiving, we're coming up on that, and a lot of that stuff is tradition, but nonsense. Um, but here we go. During the time of the pilgrims, when they were here, they were an interesting group of people. You see, they took Plato. They, they were a people ruled by, by a law, by a code, and that code was written by these these people that were really smart in the books, and they wrote this code according to Plato's beliefs. And so they came over here, and they lived as Plato said. Here are some of the characteristics of the pilgrims. Everything was in common. All hunting and all food was in common. And it failed. They nearly starved to death. It did not work. And you would think as a world, we would see this over and over and over and know that it didn't work. But here's the reason why we see it over and over and over. Because there are people, including the church, that are asleep, that are dead, that don't have any light. And so the darkness prevails over and over and over. And we see it in Germany and we see it in Russia and we see it in China and we see it all around the world. And if we're not careful and awake, we'll see it in America. But there was this man who had a different vision. His name was William Bradford. And he said this, the pilgrims tried this and they were well-meaning people, but it shows the emptiness of the theory of Plato because they were dying. It does not work. It only works for the ruling class. Everyone else be damned. Out of this, he decided to do not a theory, but an actual experiment that we will look upon today as freedom in which he gave everybody a plot of land. And he said, this is your plot of land. What you grow on it, you consume, you have, and you can do whatever you want with it. It's your land. See, the problem with all things in common as socialism talks about is that the motivation to do anything actually stops because you have no ownership. Could we be living in a socialistic church society where we don't take ownership and so we don't have any motivation to do anything? So I want to I walk through this real quick. That the pilgrims actually had a covenant with God. And it was a good deal. Bad execution for part of it. And then they got, they got it together. But the pilgrims started with a covenant with God. And that means that they were accountable to God for what they were doing. But then, then throughout time, there was this enlightenment era. 
Funny how the enemy's kingdom uses words. The, the age of enlightenment actually was a dumbing down of owning property and all those things. But this covenant in the age of enlightenment actually became a social contract between people instead of between God and people. You take God out of the mix, things start to fall apart. The so, then during the French Revolution, the social contract went to this just agreement between people that there was no God. And then socialism came on the scene in a major way in governments around the world and it says that socialism is your God and that the government is your God. Now I know this is a strong word, I get it. Just go with me. There was this man named Rousseau who wrote the social contract, and this is what it said. If the state says to a citizen, it is expedient for the state that you should die, then that citizen should die because his life is a gift that has been made conditionally by the state. Hence, death panels and... But I digress. So I'm highlighting names for you. Hopefully you go back and research them. There was this guy named Hegel, and he was an interesting dude. But he believed that the state was all-powerful. And we'll get into some other stuff in the next few weeks. But he believed that the state was all-powerful and that the state could do what that statement said and just annihilate life because it's a gift. We're, the government's giving you your life. I mean, if we want to take it, we'll just take it. And, uh, and so he believed this. But see, here's the thing. Because the church has relegated itself inside the four walls of the, of the building, that we haven't been in the, the places of higher learning. So Hegel is in the University of Berlin, and he says, I'm going to be a professor, and I'm going to teach everything I know. You think that this is just happening in history? It's happening in Tuscarawas County. It's happening right down there at Kent State. This stuff is being taught to your grandkids. This stuff is being taught to your children. This stuff is being taught. The, the pornographic junk that is being taught to the kids in this county. And the church is silent. The church is silent. Why? Because we don't know what darkness looks like. And we have to arise and awake. I'm here today to be the alarm clock for you. And if you hit me and snooze me, I'm coming back next week. And if you hit me and snooze me, I'm coming back again because it's time to arise and awake. So, Hegel teaches at the University of Berlin. And there's this man who comes in as a student. And this student that comes in is someone that you probably know. And his name was Karl Marx. And so he takes everything that Hegel knows and he injusts it and becomes a community agitator and, and all those things, and he becomes this guy who wants to formulate something. And so Marxism began, and Marxism says that there is no God. And hence, the disillusionment of our society. Who is Karl Marx? He's the founder of communism. And here's a quote from him. Socialism is a transitional phase between capitalism and communism. If you do not believe that there is a divine plan of the enemy that is coming in 
to di disrupt you, a, a dangerous plan of the enemy that's coming in to disrupt a divine plan for your life and for this country, then you are completely and utterly asleep. He said in his writings that communism is the end result. And that the way that we take capitalistic societies and turn them into communist people is through the gift of socialism. Socialism is his signature move. Socialism is the step to communism. So there's lots of other people that did this stuff. Lenin was one of them. You can read all that in history. But Lenin agreed with all this. And we saw what happened. So what is this, what is socialism? What do they believe? What is this? It's a religion, people. It is a religion. Directly in contrast to God. It is a kingdom of this world. And it is darkness that needs to be exposed. Their beliefs are that there is no God. Their belief is that you get all your rights from the state. They also believe that you are accountable to the state. And they have a plan. And it's been working for over 100 years to get to where we are right now. For many of those years, the church has been silent. No more. No more. I found this quote from Dwight Eisenhower. We had him over there weeks ago. It was pretty good. But I found this quote. It says, in some countries, the state claims to be the author of human rights. If the state gives rights, then it can and will inevitably take away those rights. Our rights come from God, our creator. Now, there was this other, this other guy, and his name was Machiavelli. And he was the one that started the belief of Machiavellianism. And Machiavelli was this, this idea that every crisis is an opportunity that you should take advantage of to degrade and to bring more of these beliefs into a society. So if there's a crisis of any kind, this theory is that you should go in and exploit that so that there's an opening for communism and socialism to enter. So many people that you know and you watch on TV believe this. To create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate power and control. This is the last phrase. The ends always justify the means. Gerald Ford said this. The government that is big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. So this is the plan of the enemy. We're exposing darkness. The plan of the enemy is this, that they will create a problem. They will, they will find somebody that has a grievance. It could be a very good one, maybe race. They'll take someone that has a grievance and they will bring their communist friends and insurgents into that area they will take up that group that has the grievance and they will empower them with money and all these other things. And they will incite them into a riotous people 
so that they can have a bigger opening to get their real agenda in. So those people are what we call pawns. Useful idiots to the bigger game. You see, one of the quotes, and I don't have this exactly, but one of the quotes of the socialists and communists are that the end goal is always the end goal. Everybody in the middle is expendable. Their goal is to overturn all freedom on the globe. And that's why this battle in this hour is the strongest that you've ever felt in your life because there is a generation that is in the hands and it is just going this way and this way, light and darkness. It's time to stop cowering from speaking the truth and just put it all out there. So what do they do? They, they come in and they exploit someone's grievance and they take that exploitation, they create a, a mob mentality that no law really matters we should just cancel all things that have to do with law, even though we're a country that is run by laws. We need to just disrupt all that and believe that they've got the best at mind. And so the next stage is they take that and they tear down the history. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting process. I don't know if any of you have ever sold anything, but if you go in to sell a product, okay? Let's say that we're going to sell, um, let's say, let's say we're going to sell vacuum cleaners. So the first thing I need to do whenever I get to your house is have you use your current vacuum cleaner. And then I'm going to tell you how bad it is. Because that vacuum cleaner didn't pick up all the dirt. And now there's a seed of doubt in your mind. And you begin to think, oh, Man, maybe I missed it. I bought the best one I thought I could get. And maybe I missed it. You went from totally sold out to that brand to now questioning. Am I right? Am I right? Uh-oh, I may not be right. And then the person that's in front of you has a compelling story. They have a grievance. Maybe it's race. They have a grievance that's probably truly correct, 100% it's correct, but they use it to manipulate you to make a choice that you really didn't need to make. And so they sell you a bill of goods because they made you doubt what you knew. Any similarities? Like, are you seeing this? Like, I mean, come on, it's sales 101. We're going to make you doubt what you believe in make you go into a neutral state to where you're going to receive anything. So when you go to college, when you go to university, when you get there, the first thing they do is tear down everything your parents taught you. They tear down your church. They tear down everything that you've been led to believe and that you believe in your heart. They tear it down from the perspective of there might be another way. And then... We have mass amounts of people that sit in these places and they say, oh my, maybe I was misled my whole life. And then they begin to give you the things that they want you to believe. And then we see a generation that doesn't come back to church, that believes that life isn't valuable, that believes that the state is for me and I can take a check every week and I'll be okay, even if I don't have any ownership. I don't have any motivation to do anything. 
But that's okay. My professor told me. Their goal is to create a destabilizing crisis in every free nation on the planet. That destabilizing crisis will make you surrender your freedom if you're not careful. Forty-five countries have fallen in the same exact path I just told you. Forty-five too many. Forty-five too many. So what do we do as the church? What do we do in this season? Edmund Burke said that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. Come on. We do the church thing. Enjoy yourself. Just do your job. Get your paycheck. Be quiet. Stay asleep, everybody. Nothing going on here. And then when people raise up their head to say something, they become the target. They will use things like pornography, communist manifesto, Marxist propaganda, everything that you're naming right now all over the room. They will use it to derail your belief system so that you believe in their theory that has failed over and over and over. And when you actually look at the truth of what has sustained this world, it's freedom. What has sustained this world is a fear of the Lord. Psalm 115, 16 says this, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has been given to the children of men. The earth has been given to mankind to manage, to have dominion, to rule and reign. So we can't be upset if we're asleep and other men are ruling and reigning. Because there is a kingdom conquest on both sides. One is real and one is counterfeit, but they both have power, they both have dollars, they both have everything, and they're clashing together, and I'm not talking about blue and red. I'm talking about the ones in heaven and the ones that have fallen. And they're battling every day for the hearts and minds of you and your children and your grandchildren. But this isn't the thing where God is going to bring in the right person at the right time and to do all that stuff. That's not what we should be hoping in. We should be hoping that we expose darkness, light comes, and the hearts of the people are turned to God. It's not about a person. It's not about a party. It's about a platform. The Bible is full of examples of where private ownership gives you the right to have a voice. And that will be one of the first things that they will come after, namely your weapon. So I want to talk about a time in, in the scripture that we've been talking about, but I'm going to throw it at you from a different way. That when the Israelites crossed into the promised land, they had battles, right? But then they got the land, and the land was split up 
into families. So that they would have ownership of this new place. So that they would have value there. They weren't relying on a super powerful government to send them their sustenance every week. If you own property, this is why it's so important. If you own property, you have the availability for God to move on your heart that you would be able to give some of what you have away to help a brother or sister. If you don't own anything, you can't give anything away. And so the charity of God disappears when you don't own anything. Now we can say that he owns it all, but he gives it us to us to steward, and that's ownership. I want to finish with this. God gives instructions on how to run the earth. We're supposed to have dominion, but what does that mean? He gives instructions to five different groups of people. This won't be on your slides. Five different groups of people. Individuals. He gives instructions to individuals. He says, help your neighbor. Treat them right. This is how the world should look. Don't ruin something that somebody's worked their whole life for just because you want to prove a point. Love them. Have grace for them. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Hmm, lots of instructions for individuals. Next, he has instructions for families. That's, that one's pretty cool. These family instructions say, husband, love your wife. Children, obey your parents. Pretty clear. The next group that he talks about are employers and employees. And he says, listen, employees are worth their wage. They're worth their work. If, if they work, they should get paid. And he says to the employer, in that case, when they do the work, pay them. Take care of them. They're a part of your family. The third one is, or sorry, the fourth one is the church. What does he say to the church? He says, take care of the poor among you. Love on them. Care for them. And then, number five. It's on the bottom of the list. Government. It's not on the top of the list. It's not on the top of the list. It's on the bottom of the list. There are no commands in the scripture, which is our constitution. There are no commands in the scripture for the government to take care of the poor. That's the church's job. When the government takes care of the poor, they're, usurper, they're usurping the church's role that we've been given by God. And here's the problem. If the church doesn't do it, then someone's going to do it. And that's our fault. Hang on. There is no command in Scripture for the government to be involved in health care. It was left to the church. It was left to individuals. There is no command for the government to be involved in education. 
How do they change society? Change education. Eight hours a day, 260 days a year. Whatever the government wants will be taught because it all flows through money. Now, what do we do? We expose darkness by a couple things. I want to read two scriptures for you and then I'll finish. Matthew 16, 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can we get the thought that we are in control of what is happening on the earth God has a plan, but we have to execute that plan. And as we execute that plan, we have the right to bring heaven to earth. And that right to bring heaven to earth comes with an understanding of what we're actually doing. Now, when we say what is bound in heaven will be bound on earth, we're not talking about where God lives. Not the third heaven. We're talking about where all the nonsense happens in the second heaven. And so what God's heart is and what he has bound in that heaven we have the right to bind on earth and i know that his heart is not for this stuff that i've been describing to be on the earth and it's the church that has to awake and arise to actually execute this on the earth he doesn't go over man's will ever so our call is to be so in touch with the Lord, to be so in his presence, to be so so next to him that his heart comes through us and we say, oh yes, you don't like that stuff because people die. People get hurt. You don't like that. Okay, it's bound in heaven. We're going to bind it on earth. And if we see it down here and we haven't heard your voice yet, but we know it's not your nature, we're going to bind it here and it'll be bound up there. Or we can sit here And here the trains go by. Millions and millions of people went by the churches to the camps and they just told them to sing louder. Can I be so bold to say that we've missed the Lord and the intensity of his belief for our world? We don't get it by hearing a commentary or reading a book about it. We can only understand his heart by being with him. To hear his heartbeat to know what he thinks and to do what he says. Do what he says. Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light.
goes on to say walk in wisdom. Wisdom that comes from him. I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament where Solomon was presented with a, a, an interesting dilemma. There were two women. They both had babies. One was drunk or whatever and rolled over and killed the baby. And so she stole the other one's baby and brought it to Solomon and said, what? This is my baby. No, this is my baby. They're arguing about it. And he says, with all of the wisdom of heaven, cut it in half. My point is not to talk about sacrificing babies. My point is, is that you will know who you serve when it comes time. The love for that child revealed the mother. Do we love freedom? Do we love to do what God asks us to do, even when it's not comfortable? Or do we shy away from the hard things? We must stand for righteousness. Everyone has flaws, and I get it. But we must stand for righteousness that comes from him. We must consume the fruit of his resurrection and let it transform us. We must be bold. We must understand that he wants the best for us. But there is a cost. Would you stand with me today? Father, we look at the world around us. We see things that you would have overturned tables for, that you would have railed against, that you would have stood up. Lord, give us boldness and strength. Help us to, to see who you are and to love you, to love our neighbor as ourself. That the world may look at the church and know that we're your disciples by the way that we love one another. But Lord, give us boldness to call out brokenness. Wake us up. May the church come alive and may the light of the world be in us and flow through us. May your Holy Spirit illuminate our lives just as Moses coming down from the mountain. They had to put a sheet over him. Lord, may we be that witness. Standing for truth. Standing for justice. May we not, may we not be pawns in the enemy's kingdom. May we be build up soldiers in God's kingdom. I want you to take a few minutes as she sings. Would you just make an altar where you're at? If, if this resonated with you in any way, I want you to sit before the Lord. I want you to stand before the Lord. Get in a posture of receiving. As she sings this, you can join in, but I want you to, for a minute, just right now, I want you to ask the Lord what he wants you to do in this hour. I want you to ask the Lord what he wants you to, to expose in this hour, to, to bring to light, to to build his kingdom there's darkness all around there's darkness everywhere Lord may we be the light 
we're all broken vessels. We've all made mistakes. We've all done crazy things. But the cracks in the vessel allow the light to shine forth. ourselves and pray and seek your face. Your promise is that you will hear from heaven and heal our land. Lord, we give you everything that we are to receive everything that you are. Transform us today. May this be our heart's cry, that you would be magnified in every situation, in every place, in every, in every organization that we work with. May you be magnified. May it not be about us, may it be about you. In Jesus' name, amen.